You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter 4, we've been looking at verses 7 through 11. We're going through our mission and our vision as a church body, focusing on some of the fundamentals and what really, what God has put on my heart that we are to be about as a church and the scriptures that go along with that. And the scriptures that really underpin this, I think, and that I received from the Lord was 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And we're going to go ahead and read the whole thing. You don't need to read that out loud with me. It says in verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now again, today we're going to be looking in and focusing in on 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. 1 John 4, 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the appeasement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, it all begins with God and his love for us. He's the initiator. We are the responders. He initiated his love for us in our sin and in our rebellion. The Bible says that God displayed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still in rebellion against God, still his enemy, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That is an incredible display of his love, of his love. Love is the most important thing. And this is why it says here in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Make that our priority. And this connects back to our mission statement, right? Love God, love others. Let's take a look then at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is known as the love chapter, and here we get the definition of what God means by love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, 
I am nothing. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, this gift of giving, and though I give my body to be burned, even if I martyred, but have not love, it profits me nothing, nothing. Now notice as we get into verse 4 here that love is not a feeling, but love is an action and therefore a choice. So verse 4, it says, love suffers long and is kind. Kindness is word, it's deed, and it's not just word, but it's also even a tone of voice that we have towards one another. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up or prideful and says, hey, look at me. Verse 5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked or easily angered or easily offended. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes, then that which is in part will be done away. When Jesus comes back, that which is perfect comes. When the heavenly kingdom is here upon earth and we go on into eternity with the new Jerusalem and so forth, These things will pass away. There'll be no need for them because we will be with Jesus. We will be with the Lord forevermore. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It says in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror or a glass dimly, but then face to face. And so it says then in verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, next, it says that above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? No, it's a clarification. We don't go around as sin sniffers and flesh finders trying to expose everybody's sin and make them look bad and shame them. That's not what God has called us to. The purpose is is to restore a person, to help a person. The motivation is love, not hate. I'm going to ruin this person's life by exposing them on social media and whatever, you know. That's not how God wants us to be. In fact, in Matthew 18, he lays it out as first you go to them privately, one-on-one. And then you bring a friend if they don't repent. And then you get the church involved. Last, last. So there's, there's uncovering, and again, there's covering, as we read here. Jesus Christ covers our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice. It says in Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Doesn't that feel good to you? To know that your sins are forgiven, that God has removed them from you as far as the east is from the west. 
and he remembers them no more. Praise Jesus. And we glory in that and we worship God for it. And then we turn around and we're unforgiving to our neighbor. Whoa, God doesn't want that. And so Jesus covers our sins. Proverbs 10, 12 is the verse that the Apostle Paul is quoting here when he says love covers a multitude of sins. It says hatred stirs up strife or conflict, but love covers all sins. So the motive here is the opposite of stirring up strife and causing conflict. The motive for covering the sins in this case is to bring about unity and oneness and reconciliation as opposed to strife, conflict, division. It's all about forgiveness. And it's all about walking in forgiveness and in grace. So there's a correlation between love and forgiveness, and it's direct. So the more love that we have, the more our capacity to forgive other people. The less love we have, the less forgiving we will be. And so we want to let God fill our love tank up. How do we do that? We spend time with him. We get alone with him. We carve out time to open the word, to hear from him personally, individually. Carve out time to pray, to worship, and make that a part of our individual lives. To have relationship with him. Moses went up to the mountain. He spent time with God, relationship with him. God revealed himself to Moses. Moses came down glowing, shining. You spend time with God, you'll become like him. You'll become who you hang out with. Have you noticed that? You hang around with friends who are mean-spirited and wanting to hurt each other all the time. And, uh, you you know, perhaps there's just a, a gossipy tone to the group of friends or there's a a macho tone to the group of friends, you become like them. You become more and more. You want to impress them. You want to be accepted by them, so you act like them. People influence us. Bad company corrupts good morals. But we are to walk in forgiveness and in love, and so we spend time with God to become more like him because he is love, and then we will find that we become more and more loving as we're around him and around other people who are also loving. So we don't want to make mountains out of molehills here at Calvary Chapel Anaheim. It only reveals our insecurity and pride. Jesus had a lot to say about this. We could go on and on and on with all the things Jesus said about loving and loving one another all throughout the whole Bible. But the most important and impactful thing that he did was his example his day-to-day example of loving, of walking in grace, of overlooking, letting the disciples, they just bickered with one another sometimes. They argued over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God, even after Jesus was just saying, hey, I'm gonna, they're about to kill me, guys. Oh, really? Hey, Jesus, can I be the greatest when we get to heaven, you know? And, and Jesus, even though he spoke to them about this, he didn't squish them. He didn't kick him. He didn't fire him and say, I'm going to get a new group of guys. He covered it. I'm going to die for these guys. These guys need, they need a sacrifice and I'm going to be it. And that's how Jesus' heart was. He walked in grace and he walked in forgiveness. And we remember even 
as they pounded the nails in his hands, his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the spear in his side, what were his words to his persecutors, to his murderers? He prayed for them and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. For me, I have a knee-jerk reaction when someone offends me or sins against me, right? Knee-jerk. You're a jerk and there's my knee and there's my foot. Knee-jerk reaction. And then you think about it and you pray about it and then you go, okay, yeah, you know, I've sinned too. I've done all kinds of wrong things. I've done worse things than that. No, you know, Lord, I need to be gracious and loving and forgiving. And the Lord settles me down and things like that. Jesus had that while the infraction was taking place. He walked in forgiveness. He walked in grace. He wants us to do the same. But may God help us to grow with those little things, those petty things. You know, the things at home. You're squeezing the toothpaste on the wrong side. You've put the toilet paper the wrong way. So what? Just take it out and turn it around and make them mad. No, just kidding. But walk in grace, walk in forgiveness. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Think of all the little petty arguments that we could avoid if we just didn't care. Who cares if the toothpaste squeezed at the wrong end? You know, not that big of a deal. And let go. Let go and be loving. Be loving. Love covers a multitude of sins. I was sitting at the basketball game the other night over at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. My son was playing drums, such a joy. And uh, the, the other team, there were some hecklers on the other side, these high school kids. And they're like, you know, yelling and, and they're, you know, being real, making real negative comments towards our players and stuff. And I was getting so irritated, you know. And then other things started to irritate me as I'm looking around the auditorium and oh, that's bugging me and that's bugging me. And I just caught myself going, man, I'm teaching on love covers a multitude of sins in like three days. Remember when you were in high school, man, and you did that dumb thing? Yeah, Lord, I remember. Man, have some grace. They're just kids. Yeah, you're right, Lord. You know? And so God wants us to walk with that heart of forgiveness and grace in our day-to-day with one another. Not be at conflict with each other. You know, not getting fights over some change, you know. Oh, we need new paint somewhere in this, and let's all fight about it. No, God doesn't want us to fight about that. So let's grow in that. Amen? Amen. Love avoids gossip. Proverbs 17, 9 says, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. There's something in our flesh that when we hear of someone else's sin, we want to go tell everybody about it. You know, oh, did you know so-and-so? And and there's some kind of sick thing in us that feels pleasure out of sharing the sins of others rather than loving them. And this can be very subtle because we have prayer and we have prayer requests and we have to be careful not to turn our prayer requests into gossip sessions, right? Hey, everybody, let's pray right now. You know, Lord, help Nawanda, who I saw walking into the bar the other day, and I just know she's just fallen to all kinds of sin. So let's just pray right now. Lord, help her. 
And everybody's going, ooh, Nawanda, I can't believe that. I didn't know that about her. Oh my goodness. And then they go home and say, I have a prayer request. God sees the heart in that. And we feel it. When we're doing that, we go, ooh, was I I really sharing this out of a motive of love and concern and care? Was I sharing this because I had a, a juicy tidbit that everybody will be delighted to hear? We want to be watchful of that. It causes all kinds of problems. And so there's the little things, there's the subtle things, but then there's also loving people who are coming in in a different spiritual place than us. They're not maybe as far along in their growth, and perhaps they even have a past that might have been, you know, to us just, so horrible and deplorable. Perhaps they were a cheater, and I'm not talking about in school, but we know that they cheated on their spouse, and we cared for that spouse, and they hurt that person, and now they're coming to repent. How are we going to treat them? Are we going to forgive them, or are we going to ostracize them? What about people who are known liars or what about homosexuals? What about people who've had abortions in their past? What about prostitutes and drug addicts and abusers? What about them? If they're coming to repent, if they're coming to hear the word of God, do we call them out and shame them? Or do we give them space to repent and we act with kindness and walk in forgiveness? And I think you know the answer to that. We give them space to repent because all we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way, but God has laid upon himself the iniquity of us all. And so that's, we have that heart. Let's turn to John chapter eight. We'll end with the story of the woman who was caught in adultery to see how Jesus treated a situation like this. John eight, chapter two, it says, Now early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So this would be just after the Feast of Tabernacles, they believe, and it's the uh, open courtyard of the temple, huge area, lots of people, Jesus sitting down, there's people all around him and he's teaching them. And then in verse three, it says, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, right there in front of everybody, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. They were exposing her sin in front of everybody and shaming her in front of everybody. And the Bible teaches us here in a second that it's not because they cared for her and wanted her to come to repentance, but really, and they didn't even care that she committed adultery, honestly. They just wanted to trap Jesus. That was their motive. Their motive was hate. They were not constrained by love. In order to convict someone of this, there had to be at least two witnesses of the actual act of adultery not just a hint of it. It was actually hard to really convict someone of this because of that. This is why many Bible scholars believe that it was a setup, it was done deliberately, that this woman was seduced or paid by one of these other men 
who's not getting thrown down and accused of adultery himself. Where's the man here, right? (laughs) And so it is believed that it was a setup by these religious leaders who were just wanting to trap Jesus and cared nothing for this woman. And Jesus knows all of this. And so he says in verse 5, or actually they continue in verse 5 and say, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. You see, if he says, let her go, then he's going to go against the law of Moses. If he says, stone her, then he seems harsh and unloving to the people. But Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, does this instead. It says, but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, or drew, with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, what should we do, huh, Jesus? What should we do? Come on, tell us. Cat's got your tongue? He raised himself up and said to them, I love how he raises himself up and says to them. You just picture him stooping down. He's drawing, you know. And then it's just, they're goading him, and he just stands up and looks him in the eye. Looks him in the eye. And he says, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he just lets it sink in. And he says, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. That's all he said, just quietly. Now he's letting the Holy Spirit do the work. And it says in verse 9, then those who heard it, being convicted of, by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So whatever Jesus was writing, some would say he, he wrote their names. Some say he wrote their sins. Whatever it be, they went away one by one, oldest to the, la- to the youngest, because they were convicted by their own sin, their own actions. So what was Jesus doing here? He was covering her sin. And he was exposing the sins of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's shining his light on them. And he's saying, look, I know your heart, girl. (laughs) Yes, what you did was a sin. We're going to see that here in a second too. But I'm showing you grace today, and I'm not going to condemn you. And so he goes on, and it says they were left alone, the woman standing in the midst. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Sin no more. He's showing her grace. He's showing her forgiveness. He is not minimalizing her sin and saying, oh, it's no big deal. But he's saying, go and repent. Sin no more. Don't keep doing this. Remember the grace I've shown you and let that motivate you to not do this anymore. And that's what grace does. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And this is the kindness that God is showing to this woman in this moment of go and sin no more. And so it is with us, isn't it? As God would say to us, hey, I don't condemn you. And, and I can do that with great justice. I can justly not condemn you because your sins were placed 
upon me at the cross. And so I don't condemn you. I have grace for you. I have forgiveness for you. But guess what? Go and sin no more. Repent of your sin. Don't keep doing that. It's not good for you. It's not good for my walk and your relationship with me and your relationship with others. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. (laughs) That's not helpful. And so stop doing it. And this is the heart of God. He walks in forgiveness. He walks in love. And so we too are to have that same heart and attitude. 1 Peter 4, 8, again, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Let's say that together. Love will cover a multitude of sins. One more time. Love will cover a multitude of sins. The next time you find yourself driving down the road and being critical, the next time you find yourself at the basketball game and being critical, sitting in the airport, being critical, sitting with your family, being critical, let this come to your mind. Love will cover a multitude of sins. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.